There are many ways people listen to vision, including on smart speakers. Just tell your smart speakers to play Vision Christian Radio. Alexa, play Vision Christian Radio. Vision. Yep, it really is that easy. You can also say, play V180 Radio for our music channel. It's just another way that Vision is helping you look to God daily. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to Leading the Way, the biblically sound teaching of pastor and author, Dr. Michael Youssef. Throughout time, people have witnessed loved ones draw their final breath and go still as life departs and wondered, what are they seeing now? What are they doing now? What is happening now? Well, accept Dr. Yusuf's invitation to hear what Jesus says. It's a look at the truth and comfort in Jesus' words as Dr. Yusuf continues his series, Enduring Wisdom. Listen along with me as Dr. Yusuf begins this life-changing Leading the Way. Today we're going to hear from the lips of Jesus himself, from the lips of Jesus himself, an answer to the question, what happens a moment after we die? What happens to the believer and the non-believers? What happens? In Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19, There's several very important things that I believe with all my heart the Lord would teach every one of us, whether you are a young person, old person, it doesn't matter. But the first thing I want to tell you is that there are some people who mistakenly think that this man ended up in that region of Hades where there's suffering is because he was rich. It could not be further from the truth. You see, the man did not end up there because he was rich, because the the whole Bible from cover to cover never condemns riches. In fact, the only ones who do are the communists and the socialists. (laughs) Abraham, the man of faith, the father of faith, was exceedingly wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea, whose brand new tomb that buried Jesus for just for the weekend, He was an exceedingly wealthy man. (laughs) And I can go on and on and on, but you get the point. But what took this man to this miserable region of Hades, and I'm going to explain to you the difference, is because of his greed. It was his selfishness. It was his self-centeredness. It was his self-worship. It was for caring only for himself and nobody else. Look at the text with me. Story of two people who ended up in two different eternal destinations. One lived for self, and the other one lived for God. One worshipped self, the other one worshipped God. Remember, Jesus is telling this story before His own death and resurrection, because I'm going to explain to you what had taken place since then. He was telling this story, the true story, actual event, before his death and resurrection. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. Why am I saying this? Because in the Old Testament, the Old Testament believers who looked forward by faith to the coming of their Messiah started with Abraham 2,000 years before Christ. And Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. 
You see, everyone after Abraham, and you see it throughout the prophets in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah particularly, they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. They anticipated the coming of the Messiah, and they saw it through the eyes of faith. And so there were two regions of Hades, two regions. They were separated, but they could communicate with each other. One region was called the bosom of Abraham. It's really a Hebrew word of kind of saying fellowship, intimacy with Abraham. They were close to Abraham. Why? Because Abraham is the first to see by faith the coming of the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, the Redeemer of Israel. The other region of Hades was a place of torment and suffering. Now, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Both men were fully conscious after death. The non-believer was conscious of his own region of Hades, where there is unbelievable, incredible, unbearable suffering. He had memories. He was able to speak. He was experiencing pain. Lazarus also had memories. He was able to speak, but he was experiencing joy in the so-called bosom of Abraham. Look at verse 24. This self-centered, self-worshipping man said, Father Abraham, he could call him Father Abraham because obviously he's Jewish. You see, all Jews looked to Abraham as a father, but not all Jews were saved. Not any more than all the so-called Christians are saved. Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony. Beloved, the Bible makes it very clear from 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 2 Corinthians 5, 2, and 3, is that for the believers, as soon as I go to heaven, the moment they close their eyes in death, they are closed in a glorified body the moment they reach heaven. Our souls are not going to be floating around in heaven. Did you get that? When John the Revelator was privileged to be taken into heaven, he did not see souls floating around. He saw real people, real people in glorified bodies. As for Lazarus, he was in that blessed place where all of the Old Testament saints were at the bosom of Abraham or the company of Abraham. All those who have shared the faith of Abraham in anticipating the coming of Jesus before Jesus came, they've been with Abraham. That's why Jesus said they're going to come from the east and the west, and they're going to be coming from Africa, from Asia, from South America, from North America. They're going to come from all over the world, and they're going to be with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But those who are the physical descendant of Abraham, who have rejected the faith of Abraham, not going to make it. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the apostle Peter in his epistles tells us, that Jesus went to Hades. He went to Hades, and there He declared His Lordship. He declared His victory over death 
to those Old Testament saints who were in that region of Hades, who were waiting and anticipating patiently. He came and declared His Lordship. He came and declared His resurrection to all of these Old Testament saints, and He took them from that region of Hades and opened paradise for them. Amen. And ever since then, every new Testament saint, every person who died, died in Christ, have been with them in paradise. From that time on. Second thing I want to tell you is this. Both destination are irrevocably fixed. They're irrevocably fixed. Verse 26, Abraham said, we have a great chasm between us, and it's been fixed. We can't cross to you, and you can't cross to us. <laughs> now, there are some people, beloved, who have convinced themselves is when they think with their emotions and their feelings instead of the facts. As somebody said, facts are stubborn things. But they don't want to think with facts. They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be confused with the facts. So they convince themselves that somehow, if they end up in the place of torment, God is going to feel sorry for them, and He's going to take them to the other side. None of that is here. Others think that they're so good. They're so good without God. They're so good without Jesus. Even they rejected Jesus, but they're so good that God obligates Himself to put them in heaven. The greatest news of all Beloved friends, the greatest news of all in this story is the unspeakable joy that awaits the believers immediately as soon as they die. Please listen to me carefully. There is no waiting place. There is no waiting place. There is no purgatory. It's not anywhere in the Scripture. There is no soul sleep. The second you close your eyes in death, if you are in Christ, you are immediately looking at Jesus' face. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said to the repentant sinner on the cross next to him. He didn't say, you know, in the by and by, when your soul go to sleep and then wake up. No, no, I said, today. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. <laughs> And the reason the Bible calls the believer's death sleep, it's really more of a Semitic way of expression, because like deep sleep, it's restorative. It's restorative. Like sleep, it is temporary, because we close our eyes here, we open them up in heaven. Uh, Sleep is saying goodbye to the physical pain we're experiencing in this life. Please hear me right. I'm going to hammer at this point, I'm going to hammer it at it because I know some of you have come from traditions and from churches that taught soul sleep, that the soul goes to sleep until the resurrection day. And all of that built on one thing from Thessalonians, where Paul said the dead will rise first. But they don't understand that in the next breath, Paul said they're going to come with Jesus in the clouds. <laughs> I mean, to us, they're resurrected. They're not going to go in the grounds, they're going to, in the cemetery is going to, you know, shake up and they're going to come out of there. No, 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 no. They've already gone to heaven. How many of you remember the story of the transfiguration? Jesus takes three of his disciples and they go up probably Mount Hermon, the highest mountain out in northern Israel. And there, 
Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. Because in 1616, Luke 1616, Jesus said, the law and the prophet were until John. From then on, the kingdom of God is proclaimed. And so, Moses and Elijah, they're there. I mean, dear old Peter, and he was so excited to see Moses and Elijah with Jesus, and there is a cloud that's covering them. And he said, well, let's stay here. We don't want to go back to the valley. Let's make tents. Let's permanently stay here. I mean, he was so excited. He did not see two souls floating. No. He saw Moses and Elijah in glorified bodies. When Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, in the book of Acts chapter 8, when he died, they're stoning him, and they're stoning him, and finally he's about to die. What did he say? Oh, my soul is going to sleep now. No! He saw Jesus standing up to receive him. Yes. And that's exactly why the Apostle Paul could say, Philippians 1.23, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which by far is much better. Paul didn't say, oh, I long to die so I can get my soul asleep. He longed for death because he knew that it means instant transliteration, instant and immediate presence in the presence of Christ. While Paul was torn, I honestly, God is my witness, I understand that feeling now. He was torn between wanting to go with, be with Christ or stay and serve him here some more and take some more people to heaven. He made it very clear that to be in that glorified body in heaven, hands down, is much better. You see, to Paul, far from being terrified of death, far from being frightened of death, he was looking forward to it because it meant presence with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul spells it out when he said, absence from the body, immediate presence with the Lord. In Revelation 14.13, John said, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, they will rest from their labor, and their deeds follow them. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul describes this body in which houses our soul, because this body's not you. It's just a house. It's a, a housing operation where the soul lives. What's inside of you, that's who you are. And Paul describes this body, this flesh and blood, in which our soul dwells, as a tent. Tent. Now, what happens to a tent? A tent deteriorates. A tent sags. A tent gets tattered. And eventually, the tent collapses. Tents always remind us of the temporary nature of this earthly body, of this housing place in which our soul is. We are on a pilgrimage, my beloved friends. We are traveling. We have a traveling plan, and we are going home to be with Jesus. Amen. And that's why Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. Now, God bless, some people think that they're going to get 20,000 square feet of a palace. Yeah. 15 bedrooms. What do you do with all that? 
<laughs> it's not talking about physical mansion. This is a reference to the glorified body that God has prepared for the soul of every believer in Jesus. The mansion is that glorified body that will be like Jesus' body after the resurrection. In the contrast between the tent and the mansion, hands down, I don't want the mansion. <laughs> you see, the earthly body is a tent compared to the glorified body, which is like a mansion. And I can't wait. And there's a third thing I want to share with you, that Jesus wanted those who know him and love him to know about eternity. And that is self-awareness. Self-awareness. Let me repeat that. Self-awareness. This self-centered, self-worshipping man, the nameless man, he was fully aware that he deserved to be where he ended up, that he got what he deserved in that place of torment. He never complained. He never said, well, this is unfair. Uh, this is unjust. This is a raw deal. How can the loving God do that to me? No, 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 no. You do that here. People do that all the time here. But when they get their heightened awareness, they're not going to do this. They're not going to say that. They're going to know they got themselves into that place by them little selves. He knew that he got what he deserved, and he ended up where he deserved. He had a heightened awareness of his sin and rebellion against God. He had a heightened awareness that he lived this life for self, totally ignoring God and the needs of others. Who knows, he probably was one of those people who mocked the godly probably one of those people who fought godly and the Bible believing, Jesus believing, children. He probably attacked godly people and called them all kinds of names. He probably one of those people who called them prejudiced and bigoted and, and unloving and narrow-minded. By the way, I love it when people call me narrow-minded because it's the absolute truth. I am guilty as charged. Jesus said, only through the narrow way. I'm happy to be narrow-minded. And that is why he knew exactly that he belonged to that place of torment. But the one thing that always, always gets to me here, every time I read the passage in the Scripture, every time I read it, and it's, it's never stopped for many years, every time I read the story, the one thing that gets to me is that the self-worshipping man was only in that place of torment for a few seconds, and he became an evangelist. <laughs> he became an evangelist, not just witnessing, he became an evangelist. Look at verses 27, 28, and 29. Send Lazarus back from the dead. Send him to my family. Send him to my five brothers. When they see him risen from the dead, they may believe and not come to this terrible, painful, agonizing place. Please don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. 
this self-centered, self-worshipping man pleads with Abraham. Verse 30. If someone rises from the dead and go to my brothers, they will repent and won't come here. Here's a classic response from Abraham. Underline it in your Bible. I really can preach a whole sermon on that. <laughs> Maybe more than one. Verse 31. Let me give you a use of translation. You have your Bible with you. Check on me. If I say, I'm not going to do injustice to the text, but I'm going to give you a translation. If they do not listen and obey the Word of God, which they already have, they already know, even if someone rises from the dead, they're not going to believe. You know, we have preachers running around saying, oh, you know what? Ditch the Old Testament. Now, you don't like the story of Jonah, just get rid of it. You don't like the story of Noah and the flood, get rid of it, because only focus on the resurrection of Jesus. If they're not going to believe the Old Testament, they're not going to believe the resurrection of Jesus. It's all supernatural. It's all God. If they refuse to believe the Bible, if they refuse to believe the witnessing of their family and their friends, if they refuse to accept the invitation issued to them by preachers all over the place with radio, television, every corner of this nation, even if Lazarus rises from the dead, they will not believe. This man knew that the decision you make here and now in this life will impact your eternity. Of course, with his state of heightened perception and understanding, he becomes aware of the fact that relationship with God through Jesus Christ is everything. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. You can have everything in the world, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, what can profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We saw in the last message the necessity of scrutinizing every investment we make in life. Why? Because it impacts eternity. Here he's saying that your relationship with God through Jesus in this life will determine your eternity. So, my beloved friends, how much more should we be concerned about where we're going to be spending our forever and ever and ever and ever? If you die today, will you be in the presence of Jesus in that glorified body? And if your answer is, I hope so, then you need to come and pray with our pastors. Make sure you take care of that. If you have the slightest doubt, make sure you don't leave this place without taking care of it. Can I get an amen? Learn about the unspeakable joy available through Jesus when you connect with one of Leading the Way's counselors. ltw.org slash Jesus. ltw.org slash Jesus. As we bring today's episode of Leading the Way to a close, allow me to invite you also to watch Leading the Way television. Each week, Dig into the truth of God's Word and be challenged to love and serve the Savior. Leading the Way television is available in most areas on TBN, Daystar, God TV, 9, 7, SCA, and more. Visit ltw.org for details. Once again, that's ltw.org. 
This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. Connect via television, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and all of the social media networks. Learn more at ltw.org. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.